into the heat haze of a hot day, and standing there on the rim, seeing the valley so long and narrow and self-contained, seeing the lazy river nourish its bottoms, seeing the miles of grays reach up into the hill slopes, Peter Skeen knew that he had at last reached the land he sought. There was in him, even then, a prescience about those things in his life that mattered, land and water and grass and cattle and horses. He only pointed to the valley's bottom. That night, the caravan so long in the road had reached its home. In him were two compulsions he could never escape, an impatience to be a doing and a patience that could permit him to look on through the years and see what there was for him to achieve. It was the impatience that set him off the next morning down the length of the bitter valley, all along its narrow way for the matter of two days' riding, till finally he stood at a spot where the mouth of the valley widened out before a mile-wide lake, overclouded by the wheeling hordes of wildfowl. Beyond the lake, the flat plain of south-central Oregon ran on and on. It was impatience that took him on this trip, but when he returned up the valley, it was patience that whispered to him what he could do, what he would do. He knew his destiny more surely than any man ever knew it. Looking at this landlocked bitter valley and the river and the rising slopes of the bitter hills, he saw what all the rest of his life was to be like. That fall he had his first log houses raised and his first corrals built, thus establishing his right. For it was a new land without title or need a title, the squatter possessing what he squatted on. Far up beyond the lake, Andy McKee had laid his claim to Silver River. Over west in the direction of Wagon Tire, Bill Turlock was establishing the XX. In the east, beyond the Bitter Mountains, Ed Overton and a few others were spreading out their herds. Elsewhere, the land was open and free to the small settlers creeping in. There was enough for all. Twenty miles down the Bitter Valley, two families arrived. Peter Skeen saw them settle and said nothing. There would come a day when his own cattle would graze that far, and on that day he knew he'd have their land. Until then, he could wait. It was the following spring that Egan took his Paiutes on the war trail. Sweeping up from Nevada with a thousand warriors, women and children, Egan struck the base of the Bitter Mountains and cut a swath around it, burning and killing and stealing as he came. Peter Skeen saw them coming and fought them from his log houses. When they'd passed by, he saved his houses and nothing else. All his horses and all his cattle were gone. For a hundred miles, the country was bare, and every other settler and cattleman had retreated to the shelter of Fort Harney, eighty miles away. For Peter Skeen, it was life or death. There was for him, with his ambitions, no other way. So with his six vaqueros, he took Egan's trail, not to fight, but to get his cattle back. All that spring he scoured the country, never hesitating to kill when he found isolated warriors. And when he was finished with them, he had his cattle again, and more horses than he originally had owned. Up north, Egan was killed, and the Paiutes came straggling back, defeated and sullen, and dangerous to lonely settlers. The two families at the lower end of the Bitter River moved out. Other settlers moved out, and some of the newly established ranchers lost their courage. Whenever they left, Peter Skeen was there to buy what they wished to sell. Along the slopes of the Bitter Mountains and along the winding course of the Bitter River, 
His herds began to spread under the amber desert sunshine. At the end of his third year, he made his first drive to the nearest shipping point at Winnemucca, 300 miles away. He was 23 then, a man established, already one of the big figures in the country. At roundup time beyond the lakes, he sat with Andy McKee and Bill Turlock and Ed Overton, and between them, they made the law. There was a thousand miles of space around them, and some of the little outfits were coming back, and a town was breaking the dust near Fort Harney. But they made the law. He was proud of that, and he often thought of it as he stood at the head of the bitter and watched the slow growth of his own home quarters. He was hauling lumber two hundred miles for his main house. He had planted long rows of poplars to shade that house in time to come. His barns sat behind the winding bitter. His willow and juniper hay fences made round dots all along the valley, and his cattle grazed on the high slopes. He thought of that and was proud.